Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. Hi guys, I hope you're well. As always, we're really quickly going to go over the itinerary for this week's episode so you're all familiar with exactly what we're going to be discussing on this episode. So we were joined by a very special guest in uh, Rob Harris from the Associated Press who shared his thoughts and views on all things regarding uh, the news of Manchester City being banned from Europe and being fined. Um, we then asked the uh, gents in, in the studio what their thoughts were on um, uh, Pep Guardiola's future and also the players at uh, City currently, as well as the um, transfer window um, in, in, in the summer. We introduced a new segment, which was uh, in other news, which was uh, talking about um interesting things that have happened in the footballing world in the past week that we may not have had enough time to uh, have a deep dive into but just wanted to highlight and spoke about the inaugural winter break um, as well as the heads up campaign that we saw launched over this period and the thoughts on uh, how effective these kind of campaigns are in terms of raising awareness about uh, mental health and the issues that um, players go through. We then dissected the weekend's fixtures and covered each of them before rounding off the episode with our favourite segment in Prospect of the Week. Stay tuned. Hello listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. As always, I'm your host Budge and I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators Dot and Dej, gents. It feels good to be back in the building, man. <laughs> yeah, well, boys, we missed you, man. Yeah, Welcome we... back, though, man. We missed Thank you, you boys. What are you saying? <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm, I'm feeling really, really good, man. Obviously, um, you came into the studio smiling because Arsenal got the win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was very, very pleased with that, to be honest, with the performance and the results. So, yeah, man, all good. Yeah, I know man. you guys are happy. Routine winner this, this oh, weekend. It was difficult, to be honest, man. Norwich are a good team. They mm. showed a lot of heart, but obviously it culminated in a Liverpool win. 
and we're yeah. 25 points cleared. I mean, there's always an air of invincibility or mm. inevitability when Liverpool step under the pitch mm. nowadays. Mm. So, you know, we always knew we were going to get that win. Yeah, but talking about Liverpool, people are saying we're missing our mm. Firmino, but, yeah, it? you that. know, you like that. to knit everything together. <laughs> like, you play a, you know, a focal point in our yeah. attack. I love that. I love that analogy. For me, it's one of my favourite players as well. So. It's, it's funny, but obviously a lot of people are giving Deji's accolades saying yeah, that Deji's done yeah. a good job hosting. So yeah, man, well done, bro. You, you know, know it's good to stand in and, you know, cover. Yeah. And again, it just adds another, you know, layer to our it, ball. It, it really is a completely different way of listening in when you're not actually on the episode. Because mm. I was like waiting for the episodes to drop and mm. then just listening to it from 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 an outsider kind of thing. It... it, it, it Honestly, that episode was top, top, top draw. And yeah, when I sent it around in the office, everyone was like, nah, this is some mm. really, really good stuff. So mm. I've got Thanks, some good bro, feedback. So yeah, you know, appreciate man. it. Nah, that episode, Absolutely it was, that it was, it was, it was the, you know, the feedback was very humbling. Mm. Obviously, Thomas Gronemark is a very respected coach in the industry. And 100%. when you get people like James Pears endorsing it, saying that this is a great listen, it's very, very humbling. Also, you know, big up Paul at the Liverpool Echo for covering our piece. And also we have to shout out the Mail Online. They covered it as well. Mm. So that's the name of the game for us, you know, providing the best coverage, getting the best insights in the game. And that's what we're going to continue to do in 2020. 100%, 100%. Now, of course, um, it's been a very, very busy week. There's been a lot that's happened um, over the past week. Um, And we're obviously going to try and cover as much as possible in the short time that we have. Um, I think there's no other place that we could possibly start than with the news that we received this week of the uh, ban um, that Manchester City are are about to face from Europe. Um, So they've been banned from European competitions for the next two seasons and also been fined £25 million. Um, And of course, we're going to give our views and and perspectives on um, uh, this matter. But I think we we have to... um, uh, draw insight from <laughs> the one person who who is best placed to, to provide yeah. us with the insight 100%. and if you're talking about investigative uh, journalism mm-hmm. this is the creme de la creme the this, is, this is the goal <laughs> yeah. um, and so we're, we're joined on the line by Rob Harris from the Associated Press who's going to share his thoughts and views on this particular issue as you may know uh, Rob joined us on an episode uh, back in August of last year I believe it was episode 32 uh, and it was titled The Modern Game. So if you would like to go back and, and listen over to that episode where Rob gives a really detailed breakdown on the, the, the matter, um, feel free to do so. But we're going to turn to Rob now uh, and hear his views. Hello, Rob, are you on the line? I am indeed. Thank you very much for joining us. We know you're a very busy man at the moment. Your phone must be going off every couple of seconds. <laughs> um, just looking at a, a tweet that you put out um, uh, on, on Valentine's Day, uh, breaking Manchester City banned from Champions League for two seasons by UEFA and fined 30 million euros, just shy of 15,000 retweets and 50,000 likes. So, uh, yeah, t- some top draw numbers there. Um, Isn't that when you made your attached like, here's my SoundCloud underneath it? So what we'd like um, to do, um, Rob, is essentially just assume that Everyone who's listening in um, has been living under a rock for the past week and has absolutely no idea about what's happening with um, City and, and, and UEFA. And, and just start from, from the beginning. So, you know, how has this all come about? Um, why have, have, have City uh, been banned and, and find the amount that they've been fined? Well, this is ultimately 
part of a key moment in what's been an 11-12 year journey for Manchester City from the takeover by Sheikh Mansour in September 2008 to now this moment um, of last week where ultimately a lot of that spending from um, Abu Dhabi has been found to be in breach of the UEFA regulations. Ultimately, as it stands now, Manchester City are out of the Champions League for the next two seasons. If they finally win it in May, they won't get to defend it. Um, you know, why has it come about? Obviously, Sheikh Mansour, rich, rich owner, lots of money, could spend what he likes in Manchester City. Problem is, the financial fair play rules that Manchester City signed up to prevent you just spending as much as you like and sort of limit the amount of money that can be put in by the owner and also limit the amount of losses you can make as a club. I mean, all these rules were introduced um, 10 years ago to stop clubs living beyond the means, to make sure clubs weren't going out of business or risking their um, livelihoods of, the, um, of, of everyone associated with them. Um, so Manchester City have already been sanctioned once over their breaches of financial fair play back in 2014 when um, they struck a settlement with UEFA to avoid being banned at the time because they'd been found to have lost more than 150 million euros uh, in the reporting period, which was massively over what they were allowed to. They ended up at a deal that meant they paid a fine of 60 million euros. That was reduced to 20 million euros. And they could continue in the Champions League with limits on the squad so all looked done and City moved into quite an era of uh, making money and not recording big losses as you know remember all that heavy spending they had to do on players in the early days of shape man saw to catch up with everyone sort of plateaued out they started to obviously get more prize money because they were starting to win things then in November 2018 bombshell on a Friday from uh, German magazine Der Spiegel was a load of internal Manchester City correspondence that started to be published. Um, a few days earlier, I'd actually got wind of this coming and then sort of <laughs> done a little spoiler story. Uh, uh, actually with uh, Gianni Fantino, who was UEFA uh, General Secretary many years ago, then at the time now FIFA President, he was talking about the prospects of these leaks coming out because obviously I'd heard about them. Um, what these leaks showed us was what Manchester City were allegedly doing behind the scenes to ensure they could comply with the financial rules. So what it was, if we trust the documents and Manchester City haven't doubted their authenticity, Etihad Airways, a sponsor of Manchester City, they were paying Manchester City the sponsorship money. We saw in the email that came out that actually a company... Um, a holding company of Sheikh Mansour that ultimately owned Manchester City and Abu Dhabi was repaying the Abu Dhabi airline Etihad for a lot of that money. So mm. actually Manchester City were potentially paying for their own sponsorship, um, which helped to provide the money so they had money coming into the club to avoid big losses or mm. trying to avoid big losses so they could comply with the financial rules. So what all these documents showed is um, means to sort of get round the rules and when it came to last week, UEFA landed that verdict and they said Manchester City had overstated the um, revenue and the break-even information. So effectively, what you told us in the years 2012 to 2016, we think wasn't right and they discovered it from these documents. Due to, you know, misinformation, yeah, absolutely. It's like, and and it's the known unknowns. It's like we only discovered this because um, of leaks 
results, which mm. were gained by means that Manchester City say are questionable. It's why they think the whole case should not stand because mm. these. Is that um, the hacker from yeah, uh, from Portugal, uh, yeah. Rui Pinto? He's been jailed. Yeah, he was allegedly linked to this. He's waiting trial in Portugal on similar cases, not mm. directly to this, but other football cases mm-hmm. um, as well in Portugal. So they think the information should not be admissible. But we have actually already seen information from football leaks a few years ago used in court cases in Spain, even mm. in some of the big tax cases, Bob Ronaldo, etc. Um, so that other type of authority has, has used these um, uh, uh, types of gained information. And, and now, obviously, UEFA as well. Must say that when we got the verdicts on Friday, we don't have any of this detail of information. We just it is linked back to the past um, information and linked back to that. Mm. Um, what we will get a lot more information now. We know Manchester City are planning that big court appeal because the court of arbitration of sport, when it issues its findings eventually gives like a full document where you see all the arguments set out and all the exchanges and you get a lot of the inner workings from that. Rob, um, one question I quickly um, had is where's this going to end up? What's going to end up happening in your honest opinion? What's the feeling around, you know, UEFA and Man City? Is this ban going to get overturned? Yes or no? Well, one thing is Manchester City are also trying to challenge the fact they claim that the UEFA process is not fair, it's not yes, independent, indeed. and the fact it's all, effectively, it's all targeted against them, it was all predetermined and they were all set out to um, uh, lose this case and be banned. I declare a slight involvement in this because they've already gone to the sports court once to complain mm. the fact that some journalists, including myself, have gained information during the process and reported some elements of it as it was going on, and they're unhappy. They believe the leaks of this investigation mm. are problematic, and that's another reason why they thought the whole thing should be thrown out. What will happen? I mean, it's a two-season ban, so even if it was hard, they'd still be banned for a year. Mm. I think would still be a quite monumental uh, thing to, to happen. Um, you know, we've seen you know punishments reduced in the past and only in the last few months it's the same um sports court that chelsea went to over the transfer ban they got it hard two window ban to one window ban obviously never spent anything in january when they got it reduced but you, you know the same court has also reduced michelle platini's ban from world football for, for a few years as well so sometimes at the sports court you do get a a, a drop in the original punishment you sort of have to find some fault in the original process or grounds to uh, for leniency but even if they were to have it they'd still be banned for a season and you know the players really want to stick around for that Just yeah rob yeah. stick around yeah that's what i wanted to move on to i mean where does this leave pep guardiola and the squad Pep Guardiola likes to present himself as, you know, a man of principle. So he wouldn't want this to, you know, tarnish his name and tarnish his legacy. Yeah, we yet to obviously hear from Pep Guardiola on this, this uh, like the verdict. We've heard from him in the past year or so. In fact, some ways, I think he's had to shoulder a lot of the questioning that maybe people higher up the chain to have faced in public. So many steps along the way, uh, Guardiola is the public face of the club. So he's had to... Um, be asked about this, even though he doesn't sit on the board. I mean, I asked him a question, you know, after the FA Cup final because, yeah. um, in back in May, because that was they just sort of escalated the case then. And I was surprised at the time he spoke so forcefully, defending the club and associating himself with the defence. 
at the time, which meant I then asked him a follow-up on more specifics because I thought, well, he's very keen to talk about it. Um, as for him as a manager, obviously, he's not won the Champions League now for nine years since 2011 with uh, Barcelona. So that's been like, one big gap on his uh, uh, managerial record. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, you think the whole City project, however much the fans boo the anthem and try to maybe say they don't really like the Champions League. I mean, Pep Guardiola, Manchester City, for all they've invested in players, should really be winning the Champions League. And um, if they are out for two seasons, does he does he want to add an extra year onto his contract to stick around mm. for that extra years? And can they win it this season? They've got Real Madrid in the, in the last mm, 16. Exactly. And, and Rob, just finally, before we let you go, um, where does this leave other clubs that are backed by Qatari oil money or Russian rubles? Um, you know, teams <laughs> you know, PSG, like PSG and, and uh, of this world. You know, is, is it, you know are, are the the hierarchy at those clubs now looking at themselves and thinking, you know, we could be on, in big we, trouble, we could be in trouble yeah. here too. Yeah, so many levels to that. I mean, I actually asked Mikel Arteta about the whole case after Arsenal's game at against Newcastle and amongst his answer he actually raised the prospect of maybe other clubs finances will start to be looked into more mm. as well as a result I mean ultimately obviously there are not many clubs that are actually owned by countries like Manchester City with Abu Dhabi through the UAE and, uh, and Paris Saint-Germain through Qatar it's a big point from Javier Tebas the La Liga president he blames state aid as a distorting competition he doesn't think that nations should be allowed to own clubs. Ultimately, UEFA sort of obviously allows it. Um, what you can't do is say if you are a football club owned by a country that and that country has a an airline uh, that's owned by the state as well. That that airline can't just suddenly say we're going to sponsor the club for one billion pounds um, for the shirts if that's not a fair value. So they UEFA then assesses what the fair mm. value of like the sponsorship was if you were to have mm. a, a a, c- a company not associated with the state, as in linked to the owner, if the owner is a state. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, it's a wider question. Obviously, ultimately, you want money to come into football. Investment in football is good, and Manchester City, obviously, through the Abu Dhabi investment, have helped to further regenerate uh, East Manchester. Had yes, that initial yeah, boost mm-hmm. from the Commonwealth Games. Um, in 2002, so yeah. they've built the Etihad campus, they've yeah. expanded the Etihad stadium, they've invested in the women's team as well, in a way that you don't see in many parts of the game. So a lot of players have benefited from it and people in the area and they'll point to some of their community work as well. But also, that's set against the backdrop of, of course, there is an intended um, attempted PR boost for Abu Dhabi. I mean, the former Manchester City Chief Executive, Gary Cook, recently mm-hmm. was saying that in an interview, the fact he was involved in the original takeover, the fact Abu Dhabi wanted a, um, you know, to benefit from it. So yeah. obviously, this is a, you know, a, you know, damaging for, for them. They didn't want the, the big footballing project to be associated with sort of bans and and, and negativity, yeah, which is obviously the consequence of when you get a, a country owning uh, uh, a football club. So, yeah, so many interlinked issues, football, football finance, geopolitics and uh, ultimately who lists the trophies. <laughs> and you've been the best man to cover all of yeah. this, Rob. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Rob, we've seen you all over the talk stations, talk sport, Australia, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well yeah. done, Rob. So um, we're, we're privileged to have your insight on, on, uh, on no, the pod. It's always good to join you. And Thank you very much, Rob. Well. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thanks have for have a good evening. Cheers. Okay, cool. So we've heard from Rob.
and his perspective on the on the matter. I want us to dissect this a bit further, um, and I want to get you you guys to share your thoughts on this. Um, I want to split it into two parts of, uh, of a question. So the first part is looking at Pep Guardiola. Now, in recent weeks, we were speaking about the likelihood of him staying on versus him moving on, and I, well, you know, was was of the belief that you know he could and would stay to to manage this rebuild that City need to go through. Mm. And of course, I know you, uh, you you had your reservations mm. because it's asking him to do something that's very uncharacteristic. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, we're hearing about this ban from Europe. Mm-hmm. I guess that's asking Pep to do something that's even more uncharacteristic of himself in being at a club that's not in a European competition. Mm. So where do you stand now with Pep's future at City? Does this absolutely rubber stamp it for you that he's 100% not going to stay at the club? I wouldn't go as far as that, but what I would say is that I believe this is a massive spanner in the works. Mm. Um, Sam Lee from The Athletic has been reporting that he feels that Man City have been confident throughout this whole process and that they will get this ban overturned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in terms of Pep Guardiola's future, I think if they are banned next season, I don't see him staying because mm-hmm. he's a manager that needs to be at the top level and mm-hmm. he needs to be in the Champions League because that's the competition that, you know, continues to evade him for mm-hmm. nine years, as Rob Harris mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, the players are um, set to have a meeting with the board, um, Tixi, Berestein and Soriano. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, they're going to get some granularity over the situation and they're going to find out further. But it wouldn't surprise me that if Man City are out of the Champions League for two years, we can see players leave. A mass exodus. Yeah, mass exodus, because Mm. I feel that they've got a lot of players that are in the prime of their careers and they don't have two years to waste outside of the Champions League. And they've got a very, very heavy um, wage bill. And if you're not in the Champions League, you don't bring in the revenue to pay these players. So Mm. I'm sure a lot of the agents will be working behind the scenes already, um, contacting clubs or contacting lawyers to find out, you know, the ins and outs of this case. And again, players like De Bruyne, can you see them outside of the Champions League? Personally, mm, I cannot. It's an interesting yeah. one because we need to remember that there is an ongoing, you know, a process, process going mm. on. So we're mm-hmm. just talking as it stands, that the ban is standing. Mm. So where I stand on this situation, I think it's going to be a test for Pep because this mm-hmm. is the, probably the first time that he's facing this sort of adversity. Yeah. And he's normally, you know, a man of principle, a man of honour. And he wouldn't want his name to be tarred mm. with a bad brush because let's remember, this isn't Pep or the player's fault. This is a hierarchical, you know, issue that's been made behind his back. He wouldn't have had no knowledge of, yeah, but you know, the swindling that's going on. But behind the, the argument scene. will be he's benefited from it. He's got the players that he he got, you know, through the money. Yeah, well, again, but that's not Pep. He wouldn't have said, you know, he would say, "I want these players," but mm. he wouldn't say they should go to the lengths that they've gone to to accrue these players. Mm. But just, you know, talking about a playing point of view. Yes, because uh, that was the second point, point, point of, the, yeah. of the question. And what I wanted to ask, sorry to, to cut you off there, Dej. What no I wanted to ask you guys is, so uh, again, touching on this thing about the whole rebuild, we mm. we can see there's been big figures that have left and are going to leave in in the summer. So. The, the prospect of coming to play under Pep, is that a strong enough draw to to attract the, the top talent in Europe 
to go to City, given the fact that they need they need to uh, uh, rebuild? Is it is it is it enough, or are people looking at um, the fact that they're not going to be playing Champions League as something which is you know t- too too big of a miss for them to to move to the club? Um, I think playing for Pep, you know, no matter what player you are, that's a big draw in itself. But also the Champions League, that's the creme de la creme competition in Europe. And again, I'm looking at it from a player's point of view. Being a footballer, it's a selfish sport. You've got a short career span, you know, to achieve what you want to achieve. And when you look at players like, let's say, Raheem Sterling, he's in the peak of his powers. He will want to be playing Champions League. And if that's going to be taken away from him, I don't think he'll want to stick around. And again, I know his agent, you know, A.D. Ward will be working in the background trying to see what's out there because, again, you can't be wasting time. And I just think also, when you look at it from um, a managerial point of view, I think Pep Guardiola will understand that he likes being in a position of control and, you know, buying and, you know, buying and working with the best players in the world. And if that's going to take something away from him, he's just going to walk, in yeah, my but opinion. Th- don't you think that like, as things stand, like Man City are falling into pieces, right? The club's in a mess. They're 25 points behind Liverpool. <laughs> you know, they've been kicked out of Europe for two years as things stand. Like, this is a big mess. Mm, It's a project that seems to be on its knees at the moment. I mean, you know, all fell apart on Valentine's Day. You know, it's meant to be a day of love, but, you know, you wait for one showing no love. And and again, this is a massive, massive turning point in, you could say, the whole city project. Because if the band stands and we do see this mass exodus, that means this city project is on its knees. And when you look at the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, you know, trying to make some sort of renaissance, this could be pivotal. And all the players like that are at Man City, these are Champions League quality players. People like De Bruyne, they can't be outside of the Champions League. So I'm sure they're not going to be happy and they will be looking for opportunities if this band stays as it is. Yeah, I fully fully, um, echo those words. Just to piggyback off Dot's point, I think if the band does stand, you know, City could be in pieces. They can be in the doldrums. Agents' job is to look after the best interests of their players. Of course. And again, when you look at the Man City squad, they've won the lot. They've cleared up domestically. So why are you going to stay and just go over old ground as well? And a lot Mm -hmm. of them haven't won the Champions League before and that's what they want. That's their Mount Everest. Mm, That's their holy grail. Yeah, yeah. Fair point. It will certainly be one that's interesting to to monitor and keep close tabs on because I you already know that there's going to be loads of twists and turns in this, in this story. Yeah. Okay, let's move on now. Um, and the other sort of key uh, uh, piece of news um, was, of course, the inaugural winter break uh, that we saw, um, you know, for the first time this season. And so obviously this was um, a schedule that was agreed in June of 2018 between the FA, the Premier League and the EFL. Um, And it just saw uh, each team get a weekend off in February. So I think each team got a minimum of 13 days off. Um, I think uh, Chelsea and United had the most time off with 16 days. But essentially it was um, uh, an opportunity for players to rest, obviously spend time with family and then um, train away um, in, in other countries. I think uh, uh, Arsenal went to Dubai yeah. and that kind of thing. So that, that was that was great. Really interesting. It was the, the Premier League was the only top flight league in Europe to not have a short winter break before um, uh, this one, which is really, really interesting. But what was the... like? Uh, a really key thing over this uh, um, winter break was the fact that we saw um, the raising of awareness of the Heads Up campaign, um, which is obviously encouraging conversation around mental health. um, And it was spearheaded by Prince William. 
Um, and I think I saw an interview between him and John McGinn. Of course, he's a big uh, uh, Villa fan, so he was uh, interviewing John McGinn. Um, and, and we saw, you know, it, it plastered all over um, um, uh, on this weekend's fixtures and whatnot. So it, it, it's a really good initiative. Um, and I guess what I want to ask you guys is, you know, how important are these kind of initiatives in terms of, you know, getting people to speak uh, about these kind of things and, and raising awareness about them? Do you, do you, do you think they, they are good initiatives and do you think it, it will help um, footballers to to come out and speak more openly and, and freely about the, the issues that they have with mental health if, if and when they do have them? Yeah, I think these initiatives are very, very good. I think we've seen it over the last few months with the Rainbows Initiative and, you know, the Black History Month initiatives. And I think mental health has been something that's been stigmatised for a long period of time. And I think now that we're having these conversations on open forums, that shows that there is some sort of progress. And I think regarding players, um, being a footballer, I think it's the most difficult time being one. When you think about, you know, social media and... Um, trolls. The, yeah, the trolls, the implications that these, these can have on one's mental state. I think we saw it recently with, you know, Jack Wilshire coming out and mm-hmm. saying, I know you're laughing, sort of that tune. And mm. yeah, for him to come out, that shows that people may be feeling much more emboldened to let people in on their, you know, their personal well-being. And Mm -hmm. as I said before, when you open up the conversation, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, I just, um, you know, I agree with Deji's point. Um, I think obviously mental health is becoming more prominent. And, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was like, if you talk about mental health or you talk about the issues you're suffering in your day-to-day life, you're not a man's man. You get what I'm trying to say? And I remember Paul Merson in the interview with Sky Sports talking about this, that will be going through depression, going through addiction. And then when he got to work, he just wipes it off and no one would ever know. It's that machoism. Macho. And I think, you know, the more we have, you know, campaigns like this and we speak about stuff like this on our podcast, it can only do good, in my humble opinion. So, yeah, well, well done. 100 percent um and the other thing i wanted to touch on in terms of the um winter break itself is just uh how important you feel uh it is of course we're looking now to uh the euros in in, in the summer so having that break mid-season is that does you feel that that is something that could um you know bode well and help uh england's chances in in the tournament first of all it wasn't mid-season so before they do anything they need to correct that and actually put it <laughs> at the middle of the mm, season mm. I think it came a month late mm. um, you saw how many you know players were curtailed by nasty niggles um, during mm. the festive period I mean Newcastle had a game where they had four injuries in, mm. in one match mm-hmm. and I think Kane Rashford mm, and mm. I think to, to have this winter break staggered what, what is the reason for it and again mm. it's the English game trying to you know be clever too clever for their own good mm. and again it all comes down to TV money yeah, I just don't understand with regards to the FA and the structuring. I mean, the English FA are always different. Even with VAR, they introduce VAR, but they're different to what we're seeing in Europe. The whole idea for um, all these things to be implemented in Europe was that in the English game, we can get a head start and learn from their mistakes. But mm. um, yeah, I think it's a bit too late. Um, we've seen a few injuries and... Uh, I don't understand where they're going with it. I think there's changes that have to be made. Mm-hmm. It has to be put in this correct position, mm-hmm. which is, you know, December, in and around mm-hmm. that festive period. Mm-hmm. But that brings up the wider argument, where do you stage these games? Where do you play? Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, I think... 
the winter break is a welcome opportunity for the professional footballers because mm-hmm. let's remember this football is about them. Yeah. It's about making sure they can not only physically but mentally recharge their batteries and you know, because of that, we get a better product because yeah. you don't want to see players just running around for four, nine months without any breaks. And of course, yeah, hopefully we see the benefits. I'm not sure if we'll see that this season, but hopefully in years to come. And it, just mm. final point on this, it actually goes back to the point about the mental health. You get a break from football, you get time to spend with your family, yes, you get to go course. on holiday. The last point I just want to make on this is that like the championship is really heating up and like this was the perfect opportunity to just have championship games live on Sky because the title race is really hot. Mm. You've got, you know, Leeds going at it. You've got um, Fulham going at it. You've got West Brom at the top, you know, pace setting. And I think this year the the championship has become this bastion of, you know, competitiveness. And mm. why not just have a weekend dedicated to the championship? Mm. Fair point. Fair point. 100%. Okay, so we're going to go into um, dissect each each of the weekend's fixtures. Before we do that, we're just going to introduce a a new segment, which is going to be called In Other News. Now, essentially, what we're going to do from time to time, uh, particularly in weeks where there are a lot of different uh, news stories that uh, we would like to cover, but unfortunately don't have enough time to... Very quickly, in other news, Liverpool are 25 points clear. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get that in there. Had to get that in there. But essentially, all we're, all we're going to be doing is just picking out some key headlines um, in the footballing world in the, in the, in the previous week um, that we may not have enough time to delve into and dissect, but we just want to highlight and speak about very, very quickly. So, um, the two that we have this week, number one, is that um, top bins has officially been added to the Oxford Dictionary. So it's obviously (laughs) great to see cultural subtleties of of football being recognised outside of the sport. And our good friend Adam Hurry at Football Clichés will will certainly be be pleased to hear um, uh, this news. Uh, So yeah, shout out to him. Um, And the other one was that Chris Wilder has actually revealed that he pins up media criticism of his players in the dressing room to to motivate them to prove their critics wrong, which Mm. I think is a very important point, especially as we're talking about mental health and the uh, psychology of of, of the game. That's certainly one that's a very, very interesting uh, thing that he's um, implemented and deployed. Okay, so that being said, we're going to go into the fixtures. Um, I think... Uh, across the board, there were certainly um, a feeling of of, of uh, hangover um, and 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 teams sort of getting uh, back up to sp- up, mm. up to speed to and up to the pace of, of, of things after that um, that uh, winter break. We're going to kick things off with um, the most recent game, which was played uh, uh, this afternoon at the Emirates. Arsenal hosted Newcastle. Uh, and came away with all three points, uh, um, uh, a 4-0 win. We saw um, two assists <laughs> and a goal from Nicola Pepe. <laughs> uh, Ozil got in the score sheet. Uh, Lacazette broke his duck. Um, you know, all round, uh, of course, the first half wasn't too wasn't too great. But um, when you look at the, the performance in, in its entirety... Um, you know, certainly a positive Arsenal finally uh, ending their draw run mm. um, and and 
at the same time ending um, Newcastle's un- unbeaten run. Mm. Um, so, Dej, what are your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I know. Before we start, there's a lot of people have been on to me about Arteta saying <laughs> I've got it in for him, but I can confirm, you know, that's false. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just to go into Arsenal, I think over the winter break, as you mentioned before, they spent their time in Dubai. And apparently that was a very, you know, good break for the group. They managed to have, you know, a good few weeks training together and building a team spirit. Because during Arteta's reign, there was a spell where he had, you know, more matches than actual training time. And for someone that wants to implement an employee's philosophy, training time is his currency. It's like what they say on these shows, like Love Island, two weeks is like two years or whatever. And (laughs) that can be right because you're blending and you're merging together. But um, yeah, just to dissect the game, I think we saw a bit of that, you know, winter break hangover. I thought Arsenal played in a pedantic manner against this Newcastle side. When you're playing against a back five, a team that bank up, you need to be moving the ball much more quick. And I thought they were slow in the Mm. first half. But also giving credit to Arteta, I thought his choice of 11 was spot on. I saw him making decisions that, you know, maybe shied away from, you know, a month ago. And I thought the decision to play Ceballos in that deeper role was was an expert decision Mm -hmm. in my view, because... Mm -hmm. In a game like that, when you're trying to unpick and unlock a defence, there's no point playing like a Terreira because mm. he plays the safe pass. So playing Ceballos added that bit of creativity think, from deep. I think people underrate um, Terreira's um, passing. I think he's a pretty decent passer. So he does pass vertically. If you were to compare it with, let's say, Ceballos, how would you rank it? I don't think there's much of a difference, you personally. So? Yeah. Really? I think, yeah, Ceballos is much more creative. I thought he's a bit more expansive than mm. Terreira is, you know? And also, what I like about Arteta, the murmurs coming out of the camp is that he realises that there's going to be some games where it suits more plays than others. Mm. So, for instance, in this game, Guendouzi, he was missing from the squad. Mm -hmm. I think Reese Nelson was missing from the squad. Rob Holding wasn't there. And this just goes to show that before the season, we said Arsenal should be competing for the top four and they have got the squad. And -hmm. and we're starting to see that. And the resurgence of um, Mustafi, I said it that, you know, all it takes is for a new manager to come Mm. in you get you know a commanding centre half which Arsenal are yet to get but automatically you can look better and Mustafi mm, under mm. Um, Arteta has looked pretty impressive I know yeah. he made that mistake um, against Chelsea but other than that he's actually played well in, in most yeah. of the games um, what I would say is that Saka has really really impressed me <sighs> yeah, and I think player, like man. A lot of you know Arsenal fans are actually starting to see the benefit of a very good attacking fullback because mm-hmm. it it gives you a new dynamic mm, to the team. It opens it doors. Yeah, it opens a lot of doors. To be fair, I thought in the first half the right back was dealing with him very very well in those one v one duels. Mm. I thought Saka was struggling to get change out of him on the outside. It was blocking off the crosses, but mm-hmm. second half it was a totally different game. <laughs> yeah. And you know Saka was running amok. And 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 the biggest compliment I can pay. Um, to Saka is that he doesn't play like a young player at all when he gets into that final third he's devastating mm. um, his delivery is usually spot on and he's the player that's actually had the most assists for Arsenal this season yeah. um, I think it's eight in all competitions yeah, eight in all competitions cold in those yeah, um, yeah, yeah. devastating areas I believe it's three in the Premier League mm. um, this is the first time that Arsenal have kept back to back clean sheets since last year April so seventh win of the season as mm-hmm. well so. yeah so Unbeaten so far in 2020. Yeah, so it's it's baby steps. Obviously, we're not, you know, expecting Arteta to turn water to wine, but he's building and and, Mm. and we're seeing Arsenal 
you know, mm. starting to impress. I think the real feeling within the camp is that after this break to Dubai, it's about results now. Mm. Before, you know, you could maybe get away with the points. But Arsenal, let's be real, they should make be making, you know, a big push towards that top five mm-hmm. because I think they've got the players. And I just want to shout out Nicolas Pepe as well, you know, mm. getting assists, getting a goal. I thought his performance and his ice coldness in devastating positions was something that we're looking much more forward to seeing in yes, this Arsenal team yes. because this is what Arsenal brought him for. He spent £72 million for finished results and mm-hmm. I thought he largely decided the game today. And I think final point on this one, I think Mesut Ozil played him really well and just the change in the atmosphere because I remember Lacazette's last goal um, under Unai Emre and it was kind of like he was resigned or like kind of like annoyed to score the goal. Mm. But I mean, today you saw the celebrations. I mean, all the players yeah. are behind him. You saw Arteta, you know, yeah. grinning on the side and mm-hmm. it's good to see and I'm happy for Lacazette. Hopefully he can go on a run from now on to the end of the season and, and hopefully secure top six for, for Arsenal. 100%, 100%. Okay, we're going to move on now. Um, Aston Villa hosted Spurs at Villa Park. Um, this was end-to-end stuff, man. Mm. Um, and, and and that guy, Son, mm. he, he's known for coming up with some clutch moments and, and, and he, uh, you know, Tottenham really, mm. really uh, relied on him him to do so today. Um, I, I was actually driving when I saw this, uh, when I was um, looking at the results and it was, it was deep into injury time. It was, uh, it was 2-2. I was like, yeah, hard four, four point for, for Villa. And then I look away, look back at my phone and Son has scored right at the death of the game. Did you manage to see uh, it as well? Yes, okay. I did. I saw the, I saw the finish. This, um, no, nah, yeah. boys, this was nasty because mm. I was messaging Dej during the game and I was like, on the 94th minute, I was like, yeah, they're just done. There's no way of a goal. <laughs> yeah. Next minute, I'm just seeing angles, just, you know, trying to control. Yeah. <laughs> Completely self-implode. That's the only way to describe and, it. And to be room. fair, this is why Aston Villa are going down to the championship because I feel defensively, they're woeful. I mean, they played well in the game, but mm. they always give you an opportunity. I mean, the midfield was vacant. I'm just off the ball. Their positioning and concentration is just not good enough for the Premier League. Um, mm, not streetwise Yeah, enough. it's not streetwise enough. But just to speak about Tottenham, what I would say is that that's a typical Mourinho performance. You don't play well, but you end up getting the three points. And that's a big step um, for the top four. Or should I say the top five now? Obviously, with Man City having that <laughs> ban. But I just feel to talk about the game I think Aston Villa they're one of the weird teams that they play well but they still end up losing what do you think Dave? Yeah I just think they're one of those teams that um, it's going to be exciting to watch um, but it's not always going to end well for them and you know when you look at the game when you divulge in it again a player like Jack Grealish you're working your socks off and to be undone by that mistake is is very very devastating but um, I thought Tottenham to be fair I think their performances are improving I think they had maybe 10 shots on target if they were much more clinical that game would have been decided earlier yeah, and I'm starting to see like much more consistent performances from them I think Bergwijn adds another dimension to their mm. attack I think he's very quick and direct and obviously winning the penalty but I just think from an Aston Villa perspective we've spoken about them a lot on this platform they just you know they're not streetwise you know they can't play well and get a result you can always feel that something's gonna happen and to be fair I thought their striker Samata I like what I saw I like him. his hold up play his use of the ball is very very intelligent and you know who was playing well and dovetailing well off Jack Grealish and Matt Target but 
I just think going forward, I don't think they're going to have enough minerals to stay in this division. But there's, don't you think like that result and that performance is indicative of their season today? Like they play well and then they concede silly goals and they end up losing the game. Was it really a penalty? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was a penalty. I think, you know, he tried to go around Bergwijn to get the ball. He went through him first, then he made a bit of contact on the ball. So I think it was a stonewall penalty. But again, when you watch Aston Villa, I mean, John Terry's there, you know, assistant coach, and he can't really see his imprint on the team because mm. I'm sure he coaches them. But when defenders make that sort of mistake, as a manager, you can't really legislate <laughs> for it. It's like, what do you say? You could see Bjorn Engels at the end of the game just sitting down on his haunches. You know, he cut off a lawn figure and his teammates were like, don't worry, bro, don't worry. And he was like, nah, I effed up, I messed up. But. It was funny because it was a game of mistakes. Um Obviously, Alderweire will score the own goal and then Engels has... Yeah. And Engels did as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and... Engels you know, has rocks for brains. <laughs> and it was funny because I was seeing something online, you know, Aston Villa called the villain. So, like, villain to hero to villain yeah. sort of thing. So, that summed up the game. But final point, I just want to big up um, Alderweire. I thought his interview after the game was very, very refreshing. He spoke about, you know, welcoming his new son into the world and having to travel up to Aston Villa yesterday and it took eight hours hours and you know we're speaking about mental health it was like yeah I was tired you know like but I had to do it for the team I had to put myself out there and luckily we got the results so I thought that was a bit of an insight into the humane nature of being a footballer and I think just a final point on this I think Jack Grealish has to be a strong candidate for the PFA player of the year because I think I haven't seen a one-man team like this in a very very long time and honestly Jack Grealish can play for any team in the world in the world yeah Oh, that's a strong statement. <laughs> so you think he'll start for Liverpool right now? I didn't say that. I said he can play for any team, get into any squad. <laughs> hey, no, you like covering your yeah. ass, you know. Get a game, a game of semantics there, hundred <laughs> percent. Right, let's move on um, and let's talk about Southampton, who lost at home to Burnley um, at, at St Mary's. There was a um, a great goal uh, by Matej Vidra. What really a well strike. taken goal, um, which was a pick of the bunch. Um, and then obviously Ashley Westwood scored uh, early on with that that court from that corner, which was yeah a bit, a bit of a strange one. Mm. Um, but let us know, Dej, take us away with your thoughts on the game. Yeah, it was um, an interesting one. Uh, this was one that you know Storm Dennis affected massively. Um, Burnley, I mean, credit to them. They're on a bit of a roll right now. Three wins in their last four, beating Leicester and Man United and obviously adding Southampton to the list of casualties. But um, just to get into the game, I think to concede after 93 seconds, you know, that's always going to give yourself a a massive mountain to climb. Mm. I don't know what Danny Ings was thinking. I don't know if he thought he heard the shout because he looked as if, said, oh, your ball to Mm. the keep. And obviously Mm. McCarthy wasn't ready to collect the ball. But I thought the way Burnley navigated the game was very, very good. I thought Ashley Westwood in that midfield, he was dictating play and people have Burnley pigeonholed as this long ball team. But I think they're showing that they're trying to change their ways and you can see that to some extent. Um, to be honest, I think that result was very unjust on Southampton. I think they deserved the point at least. Yeah, but again, when you can see cheap goals like that in the Premier League, you're undoing yourself and you're leaving yourself with a mountain to climb. And also when you think about it, Southampton, they've lost like eight games at home this season mm-hmm. and um, 
when you're trying to, you know, maybe finishing that top half or finishing a top seven or eight, you need to be winning your home games. You need to be, that's your currency. Mm-hmm. Away from home, we know they're good. Mm-hmm. You know, they've beat Chelsea, they've beat Leicester. So yeah. they've come into this game in a decent vein of form. But um, yeah, just to, you know, talk about Southampton. I thought Danny Ings' goal was very, very well taken. This is a man in red hot form. Mm-hmm. I think that's 18 goals for the season. And mm. this is a man that's, he should be in possession of an England squad shirt because 100%. they could do with some of his lethal mm-hmm. finishing. Um, yeah, just to um, finish off on my analysis of this game, I think Burnley, early on in the season, we earmarked them for, you know, relegation, but their recent run of form has seen them, you know, in that conversation mm. for Europe. Uh, you, know. You, you know, you know what's funny? Like, I think we've earmarked at least 10 teams for relegation this season. That's how much it's, yeah, it's changed honestly. throughout the season. Yeah, they're six points or fifth. Exactly, it's crazy. But just a piggy bank off of Deji's point, um, Southampton have the worst home form in the in the league this season. And as much as I rate Ralph Hossin at all, he needs to correct this. And I think mm. if they can correct it next season, this is going to be a dangerous team. 11 points, I think. That 11 is, points, mm. the lowest in the league, which is not good. That's bad. Of course. Ugh. Very bad. Yeah. <laughs> Very bad. Okay, moving on. Um, Norwich hosted uh, Liverpool um, at Carrow uh, Road. Um, interesting uh, stat before the game that Norwich had taken more points off the top five uh, than the bottom six. Yeah, that was um, interesting. When yeah. I saw that, I was like, wow. It, it was certainly interesting. And I know... Um, Dot, you you say that we can't glorify failure because ultimately <laughs> you know Norwich what? didn't win. But However, no, 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 they no, held no. a very good account of themselves, and you would not look at it and see that game. Someone who had never watched football before wouldn't look at that game and say there was a fifty-five point difference between those two teams. Mm, you know, there was what? a we- lot of extenuating circumstances. Mm. The winter break. And obviously Storm Dennis, which obviously Jurgen Klopp has come out and said mm. the wind is the biggest enemy of football. Mm. Yeah, but to be honest, with Norwich, we can glorify failure because I really like them and I have a soft spot for them, <laughs> if that's fair. But um, to talk about the game, it was always going to be a tough game for Liverpool because I think the winter break didn't help them. Liverpool are a team that like consistent rhythm. And as Jamie Carragher pointed in, in the commentary, he said, the last time Liverpool had a long break like this, they came back and they drew straight away to West Ham and Leicester. And, you know, we saw that this, this weekend. Mm. Like, I was thinking, oh my God, like this is maybe drop points. And Norwich were hungry. They were tenacious to the tackle. They didn't really give Liverpool any space. And Liverpool were trying to use the shotgun pass over the top several yeah, times. Um, yeah. I think Van Dyke utilised it maybe mm-hmm. like six times in mm-hmm. the first half. Trent Alexander-Arnold, I think he was pretty poor in the first half um, with his ball usage. Um, but you always know with this team, they're always going to find a way. And I, I don't think the result was ever in doubt in my humble opinion. Yeah, like I've dubbed this Liverpool team as the solution finders. Any problem at hand, mm. they'll find a way. And as I said in a video I done for Footy says, when the camera panned to Sadio Mane and Fabinho, I think opposition fans must have been, you know, hiding behind their couches because <laughs> we all knew what was going to happen. We all knew that Sadio Mane was going to come on mm. and decide this game. And just to go into the goal, because I don't think we analysed it. Mm-hmm. For me, it wasn't a great ball by Jordan Henderson, but Sadio Mane and that wiry frame, he just, even though he's off balance, he finds a way to like reorganise himself and finish expertly. And again, that game was all about statistics for Liverpool. 
Sadio Mane getting his 100th goal in English football, 75 goals for Liverpool, 25 for Southampton. That's 35 wins in 36 games for Liverpool. Alisson keeping the 10th clean sheet in 18 league games, mm. which leaves him in possession of the Golden Gloves right now. Jordan Henderson, five assists. 76 points after 26 games is the best points haul in Europe's top five leagues ever. And when mm. you think about the top Barcelona and Real Madrid teams that we've seen, it's remarkable. Mm. This Liverpool team are record breakers. Yeah, you, I saw something that really interesting. Now superseded yeah? the, sorry, boys, they've now yeah. superseded the Bayern Munich record that um, Pep Guardiola set over there ah. for points after 26 games. I saw something very interesting um, on Twitter, which was um, that um, Alisson's uh, conceded less goals than he's um, conducted baptisms in the past few months. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because he, he, was, he was there. Familiar with French wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's... he's yeah, mm. <laughs> I thought that was quite interesting mm. and quite quite funny. Yeah, 100%. He's got a safe pair of hands and a holy he does, pair of he hands. Does, yeah, yeah man, his hands are blessed, man, honestly. In, in, my, in my opinion, he's the best goalkeeper in the world. I've been saying this for two years, even um but you know just final point on this game um I think Alisson has played 56 games for Liverpool and he's kept 33 clean sheets this is an amazing goalkeeper mm. and with him he psychs out the opponent mm. you see Norwich had a big one-on-one mm. and the Andre um, Duda was psyched out by Alisson but um what I would say is that Liverpool need five more wins to, to win the league so 15 more points and it's going to be done in record-breaking fashion and Liverpool are six games away from matching, you know, Arsenal's Invincibles and I can see Budge um, sighing at the moment. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. So to wrap things up in terms of um, We're analysis going to win the, the game. games. <laughs> now nah, you're going to believe us. Now nah, you're going to believe us. <laughs> um, finally, we had uh, the game that was played on Friday uh, at the Molyneux, uh, Wolves and Leicester. Nil-nil. Uh, um, Bolly's goal was ruled offside. Of course, I, I know. I know. Dot, dot, you're a stickler for the rules. Are the rules? So yeah. technically, was yes, offside. it was toenail. offside. But it was like his boot, man. It I was, know, man. But it's uh, at least at least boot, we've got man. granularity and clarity over this. There's no, you know, left to the referees. You know, um, opinion. This is fact. If you're offside, mm. you're offside. Whether you like it or not is a different question. Mm. But at the end of the day, the player was offside. So the goal shouldn't count. Fair point. Yeah, that was a you know as good as it got for the game. I thought it was a drab affair. I fell asleep. Yeah, <laughs> two teams. I think Leicester. That's five points in fifteen available. I think mm. six. Uh, Wolves have six points in fifteen available. So it's teams that have kind of hit the buffers. But from a Leicester point of view, they've done all their hard work in the first portion mm. of the season game I think winning run mm-hmm. which is all but cemented Champions League football in my opinion obviously Wolves have you know hit a bit of a buffer as well you know their main weapon Adama Traore he's suffering with a bit of shoulder problems oh, is that why he started on the bench yes okay. yeah, and I think um, to be fair I think he recovered from the shoulder problem but I think he also had an ankle knock bench. it is okay you mm. can't you're not surprised because the amount of bumps and bruises yeah, that yeah, he has yeah. to take during games is, is very hectic but again, um, yeah, point on the board for both of the teams mm. and they move on with I really and I think, like Pedro Neto. I really like I him. He looks a like a good player. Yeah. yeah, he's only 19 and yeah. he really looks like a bright talent. But what I would say is that I think if this 
game was two weeks earlier, we would have had one of the games of the season. But I think, you know, the winter break has mm. really, you know, set teams yeah, back and now yeah, teams yeah. are trying to get back into a full rhythm. I Fair think point. the two previous games between them ended with seven goals, I think four, three, four, okay, three. So wow. and yeah. Budge, as you've noticed, we didn't give you any views on the actual game because there was actually nothing to talk about. So yeah. yeah. I think there was a you know what? The red cross, card. Th- th- that's exactly yeah, what I was gonna yeah. ask you guys. <laughs> so one on, on one hand I wanna ask is was the second yellow for Hamza Chowdhury unfair? Um, I or, think his reputation it? starts to precede yeah, him now. I think so. I, I think, think referees so. know, like, they earmark him. This boy's trouble. If mm. he does something, we've got to take action. And you don't want to get yourself into that, you know, that's realm of Lee Catamo. That's, because, the, that's yeah. the problem. And and so, Doc, my question fair, is... You, I yeah? think it's only had... Um, obviously, he got two yellow cards yesterday, but it's only had, like, four yellow cards this season. The irony. But, yeah. Mm. But is this going to in some ways affect his development because if he keeps on getting uh, carded and whatnot, is that going to make uh, Brendan then more apprehensive mm. in terms of picking him? And, and, and uh, No disrespect to Hamza Chaudhry. I like him as a player, but I don't actually think he's less the quality. I think mm. probably in the summer they'll look to move him on and he'll probably go to a mid-table club. I think teams and managers are always going to want to play like that. Obviously, you've got to temper his mm. his 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 emotions on the pitch but I feel he is a good player for mm-hmm. the Premier League but whether he's good enough to play at the top level I'm not entirely convinced on him mm, I think we Fair need point. to remember that he's also a young player mm. um, I remember watching him at Burton Albion and I already you know pigeonholed him that this boy is going to go far and obviously he's had a few high profile incidents over mm. the summer I remember in that France game you know almost I think he, he injured someone really mm. really badly and That's ever right. since I then I everywhere a penalty for that day it was, yeah, it was, it it was, was crazy do you remember yeah. it Boj? it was absolute yes. madness so I think again I think Brendan Rodgers he's sort of like a people's person so mm. he will try and help him as much as he can whether he can you know time That's will be the teller story. of that fair point okay um, and we're going to wrap um, up the episode and um, close things off with our favourite segment which is Prospect of the Week for those of you listening in that aren't familiar with this segment essentially it is not a good thing at all um, the prospect of the week is someone within the game of football who's had an absolute nightmare this weekend. It could be a player who um, has been playing at the top level for a certain number of um, uh, seasons, however, was playing this weekend as though it was their first... Uh, um, Rabbit in headlights. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rabbit in headlights, their first game under the bright lights. Um uh, rash challenges, overhit passes, baggy touches, um, uh, uh, butterfingers from from goalkeepers, poor managerial selections—you name it. Um, and so, with that being said, I'm going to ask you guys who your prospect of the week is. You know what? I'm going to keep my very, very brief because I think Dej really has something to say. But um, what I would say is the Belgian um, centre half that was filling in for the injured Tyrone Mings beyond Engels had an absolute nightmare. I mean, he gave away the penalty for his team. He scored a thumping header. And after that, in the last minute, he decided to be a ticking time bomb. (laughs) And he let Son um, score the match-winning goal. So, again, John Terry, again, you may be listening to this. (laughs) Feel free to pass the message. (laughs) Beyond angles, you're my prospect of the week. (laughs) All right, Dej, your turn. Yeah, um, in the Premier League, I think it's a bit harsh, you know, players coming off of their winter break. But I think, you know, today we saw 
you know, someone getting broad in like a bit of a race issue and it can't be going on. Um, I mean, the, the party in question is a 49-year-old from Derby. You know, he last played his game or played football 19 years ago for Notts County. And I'll just read you the comments that he said. Then we'll begin to unpick this sickening behaviour. So let me quote it. When I look over and look at certain players, their body language, their stance, the way they act, you just feel, hold on a minute, he needs pulling down a peg or two. So I'd probably say that about all the black lads, all the young advice, if they wanted it, that, you know, it's about when you are struggling for form, you are going through a sticky patch it's all about going back to basics working hard and doing the right things i mean for someone to have this backward way of thinking and to think that he was doing a podcast or doing commentary for this game i find it absolutely sickening and i think the bbc should be hanging their heads in shame they actually tried to edit this and put it on their platform but again it's platforms like ours that highlight these issues mm-hmm. and, and call show, them out yeah call, call them, them out, out because again like we're trying to move forward we're trying to be progressive mm. as a society and for him to feel comfortable to say that on his platform and for no one to actually challenge him yeah. that makes it a bit worse so I'm going to keep this short and sweet Craig Ramage if you're listening you're my prospect of the week to be honest you're the universal the beautiful game prospect of the 100%, week 100% I agree that it's absolutely shocking and I just want to butcher as Digi's point this is the behaviour that we need to weed out of this society and for BBC to brush this under the carpet it's, it needs to be called out uh, 100% and, and thank you for sharing that um, yeah not 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 the best note to to end the the podcast on, but of course it's 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 something that we need to shed light on, and and we as you already mentioned will continue to do so on our platform and use our platform to highlight these things. If no one else is going to do it, then we certainly will mm-hmm. and take a stand. Um, certainly. So thanks for sharing that, Dej, and and of course you as well, Doc. Um, so we're going to call it a day there. Thank I enjoyed this much. episode. It was you know, a great episode. Sick, yeah. It was a really really good episode. Very good. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for listening in up until this point, listeners. Um, continue to uh, support us and, and help us grow the platform um, as always you know that we are across multiple platforms so we're across uh, Spotify SoundCloud and on Apple Podcasts and if you are listening in on Apple Podcasts please make sure you leave a 5 star review um, if you would like to engage with us on any of the topics that we covered in this week's episode you're more than welcome to um, our uh, Twitter handle is at podcast underscore TBG and if you would like to share your views and opinions on any of the topics covered then you can make you can do so by using the hashtag uh, TBG pod we're also on um, Instagram so if you'd like to follow us on there it's at pod underscore TBG and stay tuned guys we've got more uh, uh, things coming in the pipeline just stay tuned uh, keep your eyes peeled. Uh, keep watching our, um, our Twitter feed and our uh, Instagram feed because there's uh, some very, very exciting things mm-hmm. um, coming up. So, 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 so keep following, keep supporting. We really do appreciate all of you guys. Um, and and until the next episode, I think over and out. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. 
Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.